and you shall obey his word and the word of his servants here on earth, or you shall feel the pain of his judgment, for that is his love. Let this be a lesson to you. Our Father, who art in heaven. Seriously? What the actual fuck? listening to a couple of two cents my name is stefan and i'm eliz as you probably guessed uh we are going to talk about handmaid's tale one of my favorite shows yes and um i'm just gonna start right now by saying that we i think you just finished watching season two so basically we're gonna be talking a lot about the last episode of season two so here's your warning there be spoilers so you you know, back away slowly. You don't want to be spoiled. You don't want to know what, what happens at the end of season well, two. Well, maybe they want to know. Or if you want to know, hey, keep going. But I would I would recommend to get the full effect of that episode, which I thoroughly enjoyed, and I think you did too, yeah. that um, you may want to, you know, press pause or, you know, maybe just save this for another day once your season two viewing is complete. Yeah, I just finished watching season two uh, this uh, last night, so I'm, I'm ready to talk about it. <laughs> I think th the good thing about it was that I think you were quite a little frustrated with season two, that there wasn't a lot of action happening um, for a lot of it, uh, but there was a lot of buildup for me. So, and then, then you're like, oh, finally, something's happening. So I enjoyed your um, enthusiasm. Perfect. So, um, hope you enjoyed this episode, and um, we can all get to uh, talk about uh, one of my favorite shows. All right. Hope you stick around. <laughs> yep. Canadian legend, asset, super author S, who knows what you want to call her, but she's a literary goddess to, to us Canadians. Um, but that being said, there's a lot of people who don't like her work. Or that's just to say, they don't like, it's not that they don't like her work. They may not appreciate the way she writes. She's one of the, she's a literary author, so. Really? She mm -hmm. doesn't have as maybe as many followers but her followers are very devote so i've read a few of her books um handmaid's tale being one of them and um i personally appreciate her we did actually get to see her in person 
Oh, is that when we went to the um, that festival, the reading festival, yeah. in, at the um, at the Playhouse, not the Capitol, the Capitol the the Theater. Yeah. Yes, commended. Now that you mentioned that, I remember you saying that you really wanted to go to that festival because of of uh, Margaret Atwood. Mm -hmm. I remember yeah. that now. And of course, at the time. I, I never think to buy tickets or get tickets or plan ahead for this, but it was just luck that a friend, her sister had tickets and she couldn't use them. So, and then my friends couldn't use them. So it was, it was just like the, the most awesome luck last minute here. You want to go listen to Margaret Atwood? And I'm like, absolutely. So, um, Ornix and Crank was my first Margaret Atwood book that I read, and it's the one she read from, and it was a really great night. She, she is, you yeah, know. Yeah, I remember, I remember that night was fun, and uh, I've been wanting to go ever since, and we haven't been, we haven't been since that one. <laughs> I know, maybe this year. This year we can plan ahead and actually go, so, but we'll see. So, anyways, I was reading some, some uh, background information on Margaret Atwood last night, and, um, so she has been very busy so supposedly she has over 88 literary literary pieces of work mm -hmm. so basically novels short fiction children's book graphic novels non-fictions poetry she's in she even has um, there's really two here in her biography that really caught my eye was the Handmaid's Tale, which obviously, because of uh, we've been watching that show now, and you've been you've watched the entire two series. I've only watched a little bit of the first uh, season and the full second season, so uh, that's why I, I that's the the one book that caught that um, caught my eye. But there's also another one that was made into a TV show, Alias Grace. So yes. I don't know if it's available now to watch. Um, I believe it's either on Netflix or Crave. We we can we can catch up on that one too. Yeah. But anyway, so today is not about Alias Grace, it's about Handmaid's Tale. And as I was reading some of of her her work and her quotes, one of those quotes caught my eyes also and very similar to that show the quote basically says men are afraid that women will laugh at them women are afraid that men will kill them it is it is the most true statement when i first heard that it was like oh my yes that's exactly what's what's going on between men and women that's a big big statement it's a big is. statement and not only is it a big statement it, it kind of reflects that whole that whole show also a little bit because a lot of there's a lot of uh you know violence in that show a little bit uh, there's not just a little bit there's yeah. a lot yeah and especially lot, towards yeah. women there's not a lot against men violence there are some you know you do see it i think well once in the explosion scene where one of the yes. handmaids you know takes out a bunch of people um but um there yeah there is a lot of violence against women in the show and it's very uncomfortable and the and the thing about it is is that i don't know when she made that quote but the book was written in what 1985 ish 
Uh, the book was written in Exeter, that's right, 1985, yeah? Yeah, yeah 1985, and um, it really hasn't changed that much. Women are still afraid of men, um, and I'm pretty sure men are afraid that we'll laugh at them. So, it, that's, it, it's kind of, it's it's creepy. The whole dystopia thing, the, the most biggest praise I can give for this, this book, especially if you haven't read it, it is it is a little dated and uh, ish a bit, um, but it's because you've read the book last year. Yeah, I read it last year, uh, so I don't. Year, yeah. yeah, I don't have a very clear memory of everything in it. Just I remember feeling it was a like a little older, but that doesn't mean it's not relevant. It's definitely relevant, and it it it's make leaves you very uncomfortable, and it's up there with when I read 1984, like. 1984 is one of those books that I still think about today, and Handmaid's Tale is one of those ones that stick with you too. So mm. I think that makes it a classic. The TV series, do you find it close to how it was written? A very pretty, pretty close. I think it's uh, it's it's expanded the universe a lot. It's um, in some ways made it, I don't know, a little bit smoother in some places, but also it's makes it even more uncomfortable maybe because there's times when i'm just like what the, my skin is crawl the show yeah the show where it doesn't it's there's nothing gross happening on the screen there's no but it's the tension in the background the tension that's you know happening or it's just the way they're treating the handmaids and, and not just during the rape scenes but where they're treating them just like objects to be traded and um they're more of like a resource to for their you know future children it's it yeah it grosses me out <laughs> yeah, I can imagine. yeah so for the for the listeners who who hasn't read the book or seen the show what's 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 the handmaids about like what, what's it about <laughs> actually i kind of would be interested in hearing you describe a handmaid's tale as a man, like a lot of women, have, I've seen, I've read, I've w listened to other podcasts about The Handmaid's Tale, and have it's, you really? I've, well, maybe I shouldn't say a lot. There's like one or two, um, but it's usually a book that women read or women discuss. I and maybe I just haven't looked hard enough to find one that where men discuss it. I'm just curious to hear what, how you well, interpret The Handmaid's Tale. I interpret The Handmaid's Tale as. Um an upside down world it, <laughs> it, it does it's not possible it's it's crazy but yet again a lot of the things that are happening on that show is happening in some parts of the world yes some parts of the, U the united yeah. states even yes. catholic nuns mm -hmm. but you know they they're not as treated as well as say the priests and the you know the bishops and stuff and they're the ones who have to you know clean the churches and and make the food and serve the poor and uh, they 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 make the they keep the church working that's what i'm saying <laughs> the church working. if they didn't have them as house elves i'm sure the catholic church would have fallen long ago yeah so but uh, really to answer your question uh, my interpretation of it is well it's just crazy because i don't know i can't i can't uh imagine having to live like that yet it's really so close to to reality 
Yes, that's the and that's one of the uncomfortable bits of it. That is, it feels like it's like three steps away. Yeah. So I mean, it's. I mean, yeah. I'm obviously we're not there yet. There's you know there there's always as long as we have a democratic system, which you know is not perfect. I will give you that. But you know I don't think you could say any system is perfect. But um, hopefully, even though some wrongs may get righted, so that's that's my hope for for season three of A Hands May Tale that some wrongs get righted. So we'll see. Yeah, my my um, favorite episode so far was the last the last episode of season two where the main the main character Alfred mm. decided that it, that's enough. You know, we've got, we got to do something about it. And I yeah. think, I hopefully, there's going to be, there's going to be some, some revenge happening in season three. <laughs> I think, well, I think her big motivation is that she can't. She can't leave because she still has a kid. There. Yeah, she can't, she can't leave Hannah there. So yeah. she's going to go get Hannah and she'll drive, die trying and she'll take down whoever she needs to take down to make that happen. So I'm hoping that this the third season, you know, has some interesting twists. I hope she just doesn't end up back into that house again. Because, <laughs> no, granted, she was pregnant during season two, so it made sense for her to be there, but still. Mrs. Waterford, she had a big part in mm. all of that. Yes. Yeah. What, what, what did she think was going to happen? Did she think that... She was going to be treated differently than all the other women. Is that what she thought? Or I was I was she, caught off guard because I was. That's happening. Yeah. And to a certain extent, she was a very big influencing factor in what happened. She's the one who pushed her husband. Who I'm assuming he was in politics, and and he was part of this very right wing faction. That basically they're the ones who. Uh, took over the White House and the Senate and the uh, whatever the other. So basically, this whole thing government. started because they they um, there weren't any newborns. Basically, well, it was part of it was they because of um, environmental factors, um, and then there was some some other type of factor. Um, uh, birth rates were going down there were still there were still newborns happening obviously but unfortunately um they became less and less and it sounds sort of like a, a global issue we had an episode where uh, a mexican diplomat comes and it looking it's looking like they wanted to trade for handmaids because they have that same issue they haven't had a baby in like six years where she's from or whatever so that's sort of the first part of it, and um, Mrs. Waterford, Serena, her 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 mission, her soapbox before all this happened was that a woman's place was in the home. A woman had to give up being having a job and having to focus on building a family versus like that was her role versus going out and having a job and being you know. Oh, do you think? I wonder if if they thought that because women were more focused on having careers and jobs and 
that that's why the birth rate went down. So they're kind of forcing them now, well, you're not going to have this career anymore. You're not going to be able to do this. You're not going to be able to do that. So we're going to force you to basically have kids. Yeah. Basically. To increase the birth rate. Yeah. Women have very specific roles in this new society. They're either like the head of the house, but basically they manage the house or they are servants in the house. Or their handmaids, which is basically they, you know, have sex with the, the man of the house to try to, you know, produce a, an heir for them or whatever. Um, and then who else is there? Oh, and then there's the, basically the other women. They're the ones in the show that wear gray all the time. So... Well, yeah, what are they called again? Uh, I can't remember. Yeah, because we do see them a few times. Yeah. yeah. And, They're like the helpers of the house. They're not... Yeah. Well, there's the Marthas. Yeah, so they're, are those the ones? Aren't those the... No. Well, they're the more... The, they're, they're the ones who, who are not married. And so they are servants in the house. So they're the ones who make the food and clean the house and do the laundry. Um, so they would be the Marthas. But there's... Uh, I don't know. They're the ones that who are also married. But they're... But they have husbands, and basically that's their their role is looking after the kids in the house. Basically, they're not their family or their standing in the society is not as high as say the commanders and the people who are running uh, Gilead. Mm, yeah. But I might be remembering this wrong. Cause <laughs> <laughs> so you have to forgive you me. Feel the, yeah, you're on I'm, pressure. Yes, I'm, you I feel, feel like pressure. you're being interviewed. I feel like I need to get this right. I need to get this right. <laughs> that's so, all right. To the listeners, we are not uh, we're not experts at this. We're just uh, new new to podcasting, mm. and we're just having a little fun. So yes. if we get some mm. of this wrong, you know, yeah. it's all good. No yeah. worries. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's all for fun. Exactly. So uh, hopefully you've enjoyed this first part. We'll take a little break, and then after that, we will we will talk a little about the things. Mm that you might not know about Handmaid's Tale. Should be interesting to talk about. Okay, we can't wait for that. (laughs) Thank you for your time and your thoughts. You're welcome. May may I ask it? And I apologize if this is too personal, but you have chosen such a difficult life. Are you happy? Yes. Mm-hmm. 
we're back and I just want to discuss something that I looked up last night and I found it very interesting. So it's 10 intriguing facts about Handmaid's Tale. Ooh, and this is from the CBC website? From That's from a CBC website, yes. Okay. This is, uh, this I took that from, uh, I just printed it off last night. So, the first fact is The Handmaid's Tale isn't science fiction. <laughs> it's science fact. <laughs> <laughs> what did you think about that? So basically it says, and what basically this was an interview that they did, I'm, I'm assuming, with, mm-hmm. with Margaret Atwood. So... It says basically Atwood insists the novel is speculative fiction, yeah. not science fiction, and that the frightening scenarios she offered were merely extensions of things that had actually happened somewhere at some time. And that's when you ask me, well, what's my interpretation of it? Well, you know, everything that's happening on that show may not be actually happening in one spot, but every yes. there's um, specific things on that show that are happening elsewhere around the world so mm-hmm. the headdress well that's happening other places yeah right uh you know so she she gives she gives examples she says um the group activated hangings the tearing apart of human beings the clothing specific to cat castes and classes the forces childbearing and the appropriation of the results are of the results the children stolen by regimes and places mm-hmm. for upbringing with high-ranking officials the forbidden of literacy deni- the denial of property rights uh, all had precedence she says and many were to be found not in other cultures and religions but within western society and within the christian tradition itself yes right so that was I, I thought that was pretty that was pretty pretty strong statement mm-hmm. the second fact atwood wrote the book in longhand on yellow legal notepads <laughs> all the best books are <laughs> is that right jk rowling did the same thing i think there's, there's more would-be writers should be investing in their legal notepads and since you know a lot about margaret atwood where, where do you think she wrote this book on a train where like where in the world oh <laughs> in a cafe no like, oh this is just, i'm sorry like jk where, rolling facts I'm, I'm where, where, like where in the world do you think she wrote this where in the world uh, where in the world is margaret atwood at that time <laughs> um i'm guessing france no she was living in west berlin before the wall, before the fall of the West Berlin Wall, mm. so she was was living uh, in Germany. That's interesting, isn't it? Yeah, that definitely adds to the Matilda. Uh, Mat- oh, I can't even say the word right now. The military kind of presence that's definitely in the book. Yes, yes. or even on the TV show. And the yes, TV show, about, yes. Uh, military presence, the checkpoints yeah. and yes. you know people standing around with guns and yeah. I'm assuming that's what Germany was like then, or East Berlin or whatever. Uh, West I Berlin. Didn't, I didn't know. So she lived, she lived in in Germany yes. for some some time, I imagine, because she 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 was able to write a book over there. Mm-hmm. The third fact: 
Germany's influence wasn't limited to Atwood's rented typewriter. So basically, when she wrote the book, mm-hmm. she wrote it on a on a German typewriter. <laughs> <laughs> so she basically she basically says that Atwood cites many influences for the novel, among them her interest in dystopian literature. That um, her experience of living in Germany when she was writing also played a part. Every Sunday, the East German Air Force made sonic booms to remind us of how close they were. Hmm, that must be nice. Yeah, so it's just like you're saying, the, the military presence played mm. a big fact in that. Yeah. Probably played a big fact in that, in that, in that book. Yes, yeah. that's cool. The fourth fact, and I bet you you don't know this. Hmm. What do you think the original... I think we talked about it last night and I don't think I gave you the answer. No. What do you think the original title of that book was? Stop Raping Me? (laughs) (laughs) No. I'm really uncomfortable right now. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a lot of pressure? This is a lot of pressure. (laughs) Too much. It's too much. For for something just fun that we're doing? (gasps) Yes. So, okay, let's... I'm assuming there's an answer. Uh, what's the, what, what do you think would be the most hmm. simple answer? A word that you hear all the time in the show. Handmade? No. June? No. Uh, I'll give you the answer. Oh, uh, One last chance. Um, it's... Uh, uh, you hear it all the time. All the time, all the time. Um, may the Lord open... Made a little or, wait, no, no, it's a, what's that, what do they always say? May he bear fruit or may he, I don't know what it is. <laughs> may he bear may, fruit. May his eays open. May his, may his eyes open. <laughs> I can't remember. Obviously, I would be a very bad handmaid. <laughs> Blessed be the fruit. No, that's not the original title, but I think that's, that's. I think what that's the, from the show. That's from the show, yes. It's in there. <laughs> okay, go ahead. So the book's original title was Alfred. The name of the central character. Yes, yes. And the, the, what she says here, the name, so basically, that was interesting because I didn't know that until I wrote this, but you knew about it because you read about it. Yes. Right, because you read in the book, but it says the name consists of the man's first name, Fred. Mm-hmm. And... A prefix that denotes ownership of, so off, Fred. Yep. Because it's a hand made of Fred. Which basically means that she's just a piece of property to them. It's a property, yeah. 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 Adwood says there's another layer to the name too. Do you want to know what I think the other layer of the name is? Okay, let's what you say. Let's 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 hear what you think, and I'll tell you what Adwood actually says that it is. Because this is one of the few facts that I do know, is the fact that Alfred. That's the name she gives the character in the book, but in the book, she never actually reveals what the character's real name is before all of this took place. It's only, it's a product of the show that we get the name June. And the only reason why it gets that name June is because I think there's a a part in the book where it goes through the names of these girls that, um, what what their original names were, and one girl's name is June, and it was never really attributed to any of the other handmaids. 
So they just decided, I'm going with June hmm. for this character in the show anyway. So Adwood says that the, the, the second layer to the name is within the name is concealed another possibility. Offered, and she spells it O-F-F-E-R-E-D. Denoting a religious offering or a victim offered for sacrifice. Mm-hmm. So yeah. basically, offered is your base. I'm basically offering you mm-hmm. this this person, this woman, as a sacrifice to yeah. to God or to, you know, to, their, to their purposes to, to, for whatever purposes which they believe is is um, yeah. a godly purpose. It's like the equivalent of throwing a, a virgin into a, a volcano to you know yeah, make exactly, the yeah. make the volcano gods happy. Yeah, because they believe this is going to make God happy by you know all these women going through this sacrifice. And basically, it's their justification. Yeah. 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 The fifth fact. She... This is interesting. Okay. She wrote the book because it was getting in the way of another one. <laughs> I do enjoy that. <laughs> so, yeah. she, so I'm not going to read you the whole thing, but mm. she was saying that she was trying she, she was trying to write this other book, yeah. but she could never write the other book because... This one was always getting in her way. She yeah. kept thinking about this one. Yeah. And sometimes you just have to exercise some things that are in your brain. And then once you do it, it's like, sometimes like, I, this is not the same, obviously, but I'll be at work and there's something that it's super easy, but there's more important things I have to do. So while I'm doing those things, for unfortunately, that other super easy thing just keeps bugging me. The whole time. And it, it, and I've been told, no, don't worry about it. It's not important. They can wait. They can wait. But it's like that pebble in the shoe. If you, <laughs> the shoe. you just have to stop, shake the pebble out. Yes. And that was for her shaking out this yeah. book was getting that pebble out of her shoe so she could work and get on with her life. And yeah, because I'm assuming she had all these things coming into her head of things that shaping this book that was she just, it, it, sometimes it, over, it over, will overcome you. Yeah. yeah, I love that idea. Yeah, no, that was that was pretty good. I thought it was funny. I, I can't I can't write this other one. I need to finish this one before I, I write my my next one. Yeah. Number six, The Handmaid's Tale is not strictly not is not strictly a feminist work. No. So basically, she says um, that while many observations that inform the book are feminist, it's not primarily a feminist work, but rather one about power and dominance. Mm. In a 1986 interview, she explained that the book is a study of power and how it operates and how it deforms or shapes the people who are living within that kind of regime. Yeah. I see that a lot in the show. Like, just just the power between June and, um, or Offred, and Mrs. Waterford. Yes. The power dynamic in that show, yeah. especially with um, uh, June at one time, before she gets pregnant, she sort of ingratiates herself with uh, Mr. Waterford. Yeah. yeah you know, d- playing the Scrabble games yes, and yeah. spending time with him at night. Trying to think it would would give her, you know, better Some standing. leverage. Yes, yeah, some leverage. Yeah. And, and then, but obviously that's, you know, uh, Mrs. Waterford does not appreciate that. <laughs> <laughs> Mrs. Waterford, when do you think, hit that, uh, hit that when now. When do you think that, when do you think that Mrs. Waterford started to regret this whole thing. Uh, At what point do you think she started regretting it? 
I because she was a big part of it. So at what point yeah. she was a big part of making this happen? At what point did she start? Do you think she started thinking, "Hmm, I hate this whole idea." I, I think because I believe that she thought she was ha she would be because of what happened in season three. Or I, season two. Or I'm sorry, what happened in season two? Mm -hmm. I think that she. I'm having it. I'm, I'm holding a glass of wine here, so. Uh, I know, and I'm so scared that's going to end up in the in the laptop, and then just, pff, there goes the episode. <laughs> and I'm like, I can't say this again. <laughs> <laughs> so, because I don't think I truly don't think that she thought she would be treated the same way. I thought she would be treated because of what happened on one. A particular episode in season two and I'm not gonna mm -hmm. say it but because of what happened to her I don't, see, I don't see why shock. we can't it, it I say we can shock we can talk about it because we've already warned people about spoilers that's true uh, that's true but basically she basically defied one of her own it's own. not one of hers but it's one of the the laws of Gilead in which I don't believe she thought the these laws would would go she, as far as they did. I think her idea was, okay, women need to have roles. Women, you know. She, she, she didn't yeah. think it would be that extreme, I don't think. No. That basically she was being, because she such was such a religious person, she believed that having um, a woman's place in the house and, you know. But the thing is, is she was such a busy person before all this happened. She had her own career. She did her own talk. She wrote her own book. She was a televangelist. She was a singer. She like had this full life, even though she was saying, "Oh well, you know, we're we're gonna have to give up sacrifice. We're gonna have to like put our focus back into the, the home." I don't think she envisioned being locked in a home where, really, she's got nothing to do but needlepoint and working on her orchids. Like, she can't even read for crying out loud. This is a woman who wrote a book. Yeah. You'll have to forgive me. She is my favorite character on the show, so. Yeah. <laughs> so she, uh, she, because that's, that's, that's the, what I'm, um, I was mm. the most intrigued about because, again, I, I didn't watch season one or the full, the full season yeah. one. And I didn't realize she had you know, a, a big enough part. She's what was very, very influen influential. Influential in what happened. Yeah, and I didn't realize that, and I'm I'm pretty sure she didn't. She didn't think that you you'd end up getting your fingers cut off. Yeah, or, she or got a one finger, finger cut or off. a finger cut yeah. off by yeah. by by reading a book. Yeah. Because that's the law of Gilead. If yeah. if you're caught reading, if a woman's caught reading. She'll get her her finger cut off. Yeah. And I, and it's during the show you don't really see it or it's like there's no books. They threw away all their books, so it's not like there's books in the house that she's just not touching or anything. But she, <laughs> um, when they she goes to when they go to Canada, and she's she's there to you know I don't know I can't remember what they're there for, but she's given a. Uh, an itinerary. <laughs> I, going to I was like, I can't even remember what they're going to Canada I can't remember for. Remember that too. I can't yeah. Remember I think it was just a like, diplomatic. Mission it was some kind of diplomatic thing, yeah. Just to show how you know women are trampled on as much as you think, type blah 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 or something. But she's there and and she's given a an itinerary and there's yes, no yeah. words on it. There's just pictures. Yeah, I remember that. Yeah. And it hurt my heart. <laughs> <laughs> there's no words. On it. I'm like. 
oh my god yeah. <laughs> you got a little symbol for you know like uh, for a meal and crazy things like that and i was like oh th that's just wrong wrong on so many levels yeah. that i'm pretty sure she had she likely was educated obviously if she could write a book yeah you know don't get and, a lot of background on her we don't know what she do we know what she she what her background story is we just know some just some highlights i'm assuming she was some kind of university professor um i don't think there was she she did give talks she was a televangelist she was a singer oh, okay. so she was very um she was very like very religious so that's what she was like on the far right religious type okay. of religious and then she wrote this book so then she was going around giving lectures at at universities and colleges and there was um she was arrested i remember that one that one episode where she was giving some kind of lecture and that was just before the takeover of gilead and mm -hmm. i remember she was giving a lecture and people were like screaming and yelling mm. and they were very negative to what she was saying. Yeah, she was arrested for inciting a riot. Yeah. And at one time she was even shot by a sniper. And that's the reason why she couldn't have kids, or at least one of the reasons why they couldn't have kids. I also think that he's shooting blanks too, so it's not all in her. Yeah. That's all I'm saying. <laughs> But the reason I really like her, my, she's so this my, is your favorite character? That's my favorite character because There have been times when I've hated her so much, I could just shake her. Like, I could just be like, oh, oh but I just can't. I just can't. I'd be like, no, you, I I'm, I'm going to another room because I just can't even see your face. My favorite character is, is Aunt Lydia. <laughs> see, I don't understand that at all. <laughs> It's just, I don't know why, but she's so, such a mean person. Yes. And why why she's my favorite character is because I'm trying to understand how you can be so into this regime. Yeah. And she portrays it so well. There's parts of me that wants um that wants something bad happening to her. And in the last episode. And something does something actually does, happen. Yes. yes, something actually does happen, which come, I'm I'm now I'm kind of sad about it, but <laughs> Because she, she's a really good, she's a really good. Uh, she portrays that role really, really well. She's an amazing actress. Yeah, and yeah, I just would like to be able to uh, know why. But I think that's actually we can talk about that a little bit later because there's a little bit there's uh, they don't they don't give a backstory to Aunt Lydia, but there's some mm. speculation, and we can we can talk about that. Oh, okay. Was there any more um, Yes, we're, we're at number seven. We're at number seven. Oh, let's get back on the list. The, the modesty costumes worn by women of Gilead were partly inspired by a cleanser package. A cleanser package. So, basically, what they mean is the modesty costumes the women of Gilead wear are drawn from Western religious iconography. Iconography. Hmm. Oh, okay. The blue of purity from the Virgin Mary, mm -hmm. red from the blood of, again, I'm not sure if I'm pronouncing this right, parturition. Okay. As well as from Mary Magdalene. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. The face hiding bonnets came from Victorian costumes and from nuns, like you mentioned. Yeah. But also from old Dutch cleanser package of the 1940s, which showed a woman with her face hidden 
and which frightened me as a child, she says. <laughs> as it should. <laughs> Cleaning should frighten everyone. <laughs> so, number eight. Yeah. Uh, since it was first published, published, The Handmaid's Tale has never been out of print. Uh, that's saying something, especially yeah. for a Canadian that's author. That's like 30-something 30 some, 30 years, right? Yep. Wow, is that crazy? Mm-hmm. Um, the book has been challenged or even removed from many high schools. Yep, that I'm not surprised. That's number nine. Basically, it says that The Handmaid's Tale is often taught in high school, and historically, it's one of the most challenged books of all time in schools from California to Massachusetts and from Florida to Iowa. Uh, the novel has either been challenged or removed over claims of profanity, statements that are defamatory to God, illicit sex, violence, hopelessness, and more. Well, I mean, this, this is from the U.S. Uh, you know, what's happening in the U.S. right now. <laughs> Get ready for it. Well, to, to be honest, it is a little depressing. So... <laughs> Kids don't need that. <laughs> uh, number 10. Mm. The Handmaid's Tale is not a prediction. No, no. So basically she says, uh, the novel isn't a prediction because predicting the future is impossible. <laughs> there are too many variables. Let's say it's an anti-prediction. If this future can be described in details, maybe it won't happen, she says. But such wishful thinking cannot be dependent on either. Yeah. There's some things that could happen in, in the future that may remind you of Handmaid's Tale. There's things that happen that remind me of 1984. That, uh, you, you get that a lot. I mean, these are things that are not hard to imagine. Do you think that so, this can be happening, you know, with Trump world? Do you think that <laughs> things like that could happen sooner than than later without people really realizing that it's happening little by little uh, only if trump is you know successful in becoming emperor trump and he basically allows chipping himself, a little bit away at, at people's freedoms and rights and you know uh, the media the, the media press. and all that i don't know it's it can happen i i don't think so it's it's impossible it, it's. I'm not saying there's not some of it there, because obviously, in the U.S., there's a lot of laws that prevent women from, let's say, getting an abortion or having, you know, rights on their on their body. So, I mean, there's a certain amount of laws that are written by men that affect women, that obviously are very close to A Handmaid's Tale. That I kind of I can see that, but. <laughs> I'm hoping that, you know, progress is slow. <laughs> progress is slow. It'll happen. <laughs> it really will. It really will happen. But, y you know, it just, you, you gotta sometimes have patience. So, um... And diligence. You gotta stay on top of them, alright? Don't let them get away with uh, junk. Don't let them. That's all I'm saying. So, um, I said that my favorite, my favorite, um character is uh, Aunt Lydia. Yes. I'd and, like you to explain that. Well, I kind of already did. <laughs> well, that's right. <laughs> Never mind. No, yeah. Just another comment. I was reading that there was a, a, a news ar article on the HuffPost. Yep. And basically, 
they they compared Aunt Lydia to uh, Sarah Huckabee Sander. Is not that funny? And there's a picture of, of Sarah Huckabee Hans- yeah. Sarah Huckabee Sanders mm-hmm. right next to to Aunt Lydia. Yes. And they really truly look alike. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> Don't they look the same? <laughs> okay. Um, the one, the woman who plays Aunt Lydia, you'll have to forgive me, but they both have that handsome women quality. Um, that's not... And that's, um, hey, look, and that's spoken from somebody who was also a handsome woman. Um, <laughs> but they look please, the same, though. They do a little bit. And it's, in some ways, maybe... They have a... Huckabee Sanders could easily play that role. Okay, get that picture away enough. from me. She, I guess she could, she could easily play that role. She could be <sighs> Aunt Lydia. I, you know what? She and would have, she would have that, that personality that, you know, revengeful, you know, no hurt, you know, completely, I hate you kind of, of attitude towards other people. And there's a little bit of blind devotion in there too. I like to know exactly what Aunt Lydia's story is. Like, so that's, that's a good what point. I... That's a good question. So, it comes to our last segment, <laughs> and we'll 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 come back to that, that okay. segment after this little break. You're making them wait. <laughs> <laughs> yes. All right, let's go. Welcome back. <laughs> you're By listening. now you're probably thinking, oh my God, when is this going to end? <laughs> this is our longest episode. It is our date. longest, but I figured that it, it'll be a long one this time because it's, it's an opinion episode more than a, a day trip episode. <laughs> That's true. We can't, <laughs> we can't day trip every day. <laughs> we may have to go to work some days. <laughs> so... Mm. We finished uh, the last segment talking about what the backstory was of, of Aunt Lydia. Yes. That's what you said. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So anyway, so I was reading a little bit and they don't on purpose, I think, give a lot of backstories and there's no real backstory to Aunt Lydia also. No. So I'm going to ask you. Yes. What do you think Aunt Lydia's backstory is oh. based on, on what, what you've seen so far? Uh, hmm. What do I think? What, what would you think that she is? High school gu- guidance counselor. You're so close. Really? You're so close. <laughs> I was being, I was joking. <laughs> so, basically, she says that... And who is she? She, well, and out. That, oh, who's, okay. Who's, she's the, the actress. The actress itself. All right. So they interviewed her. They basically asked her, "So, well, what do you think the mm. what her back, what Andy, Aunt Lydia's backstory is?" And she goes, "She says she basically came up with the story that Aunt Lydia uh, was a teacher." Uh-huh. Yeah. So. Yeah, I can see that. She basically imagined Aunt Lydia as a teacher. Um. And then she then describes the tragic, the tragic story of potentially about a, a young woman who was mistreated when she was younger, became hardened against those who 
represented her mistakes mm-hmm. and found Gilead as the perfect outlet for her anger and newfound pity. Yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. And she's not. I don't think and she's she, all bad. So what's that? I don't think there's. There is some in her. There's a small little piece of her that is like just angry in her. Yes. And like she's using Gilead as a mm-hmm. as an outlet. Yeah. She's like, you know what? All these years, you guys made gave me a hard time. Mm-hmm. I'm gonna give you guys a hard time now, also. Yeah. And she's she's found that outlet. Yeah. Right. She also continues by saying that, and, and again, this is just um, assumptions because there's no true backstory. Well, from mm. what I read, anyway, there's no true backstory, or at least nothing they've um, attributed in the in the show or in the. Because you haven't read anything about the backstory of Ailey. No. She goes. She says, maybe she got pregnant at fourteen, and her parents shunned her and took that baby, and she mm. said to God, "If you just give me one more chance, I'll never be bad again. I'll do everything you ask of me." Mm. So that's why she's so loyal. Yeah. To this new. Uh, regime and this ideal that she's you know producing children even though not herself but with these other girls to you know for God yeah but it's funny how we always because you were really close <laughs> you it, seem it shocked this, by that but, but because it's so funny because she asked I think it was the, produ- the producer of the show yeah. I can't remember but she asked because she herself asked a person, mm. and if I, if she, uh, she goes, she says, um, the showrunner. Both mm. she asked the showrunner. She says, "What do you think, Aunt Lydia? What her backstory story is?" Yeah. And she says, school t- "He said the school teacher." School teacher. And then when he said that, she said, "Oh, you know what? That makes sense." And then she, she then kind of ran with it. She ran with it, and she said, "That makes sense." And mm. she basically added to that. And then you said school teacher, but you know what's funny? Why do school teachers get such a bad rap? Why are school teachers such so angry? <laughs> I'd be angry too, to be perfectly frank. <laughs> I think there's, I think there's a lot of. That's so funny. The thing is, is that there's very good school teachers out there, and your dad was one of them, I'm sure, because everybody that we ran into that remembers him having, you know, they always say positive things like. And, and I know a lot of people whose, whose parents were school teachers, and I'm sure they were good too. But there's some school teachers out there. It's, well, it's like any job. There's people who go into a line of work thinking they're going to like it. And no, no, they're not suited. It takes a special type of person to really enjoy that type of work and to really care about their kids. And it's one of the hardest jobs out there. It's like anybody who can do it, hats off to you because yeah. you've got my respect. But but, it's but so there's funny also some everybody really that, bad ones. Everybody that that <laughs> that asks, what's her, what's Aunt Lydia's background? So they always go back to she must have been a teacher, because <laughs> <laughs> or or a librarian. You know, I, that was going to be one of my guesses. I was going to guess librarian. Why do they get such bad raps? I don't think a librarian should get bad raps. <laughs> They've got their own thing going on. <laughs> They're just living their quiet little lives at, at work, you know, shelving books and, and, and introducing kids to reading. They, I'm, I'm sure they have, they have a, a hard one too. And they don't get paid very well because nobody's putting any money in books and literature anymore. But that being said, um, 
I think the problem is that, you know what she reminded me of? There's a character in the Harry Potter books and I think, I don't know if her name was Petunia or something. She was one of the teachers. She was one of the bad teachers. You know that every year, every book in the Harry Potter books, there's a Defense Against the Dark Arts teacher that shows up and something always happens. I think there was only one that turned out not to be evil. And they, something always happens and at the end of the book, they end up getting booted out. But there was this one, she was the worst. And I think I hated her more than Voldemort. So, and you know what? She reminds me of Aunt Lydia. Hmm. And maybe that's why I really, there's very little of me that likes Aunt Lydia. Oh really? Yeah. yeah, Mrs. Waterford. I can. I don't like her because I can go up and down on her, but this I, one. I don't like Aunt Lydia because of what her character is. Mm. I just like Aunt Lydia because she just portrays it so well. I think mm. it's it's the actress in her. Um, yes. Seventy six percent said that they have not seen that show, ever heard of it. In the United States, where, in my opinion, if this, this dystopian society ever happened, it would be there. <laughs> well, it is. It is set. The there. more plausible, <laughs> the more plausible place that would happen to be there with, with what, what's happening right now. Well, I guess it's the politics. We're not going to go there. But yes. Seventy-six percent. Were those red states or blue states? I I don't know. <laughs> they didn't say. But they only said there's only. 14% of the respondents that mm -hmm. said that they've heard the show or yeah. seen the show. So basically 8%, 8% of people that were interviewed said that they, they watch weekly. Hmm. My question would be, of those people, do they have Hulu? Oh. Because it is a Hulu show. Zero. It's a streaming site. We get, we get it here. Okay. It's um, on Bravo that here. That's because they don't have that. Perhaps. Potentially. Perhaps. I was really... Yeah. I was... I was, uh, you know, mm. stunned a little bit by 76% never heard of that show yeah. for being such a popular show. And it's, it's won awards. It's won uh, awards and everything. It's won an Emmy for... Uh, and it's not just that it's because it's a Canadian, Canadian writer. No, no. It has nothing to do with it. Yeah. Uh, and 6% said that sometimes they watch the show. Mm. So I'm adding the 6 and the 8 those are the people who just want to like binge watch it like we we like to binge watch shows but we do record it and i we that's one of the few shows we do watch weekly practically most of the time yeah yeah, yeah. all right well i guess this is it this is the end of our show this is the end of our episode <sighs> are you happy are you are you like relieved now <laughs> relieved, relieved that I was able to spew all that stuff and then realize oh i have no facts in my head whatsoever and <laughs> i can't even remember like the name of the one, one of the few books I read of Margaret Atwood. Well, you make a better interviewee oh, than, I than me. Okay. I make a better interviewer. Well, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I hope you enjoyed uh, the show. Yes. And uh, this is it. Goodbye. And uh, until next time. And if you haven't read the book, you should, you know, pick it up. It's a good read. I also recommend reading 1984. Especially so what's that one about? Oh, that's that's one's even creepier. It's basically Big Brother. It it's how you're being monitored at all times and how they. Um, was it written in in when was it written? 1948. So basically, what they did at the time, it was sort of like a look ahead, and I'm oh. pretty sure it was in the 1940s, and it was they just flipped the last two numbers because they figured you know. 
Hmm. Anyway, that's I think pretty sure that's how it worked. Oh. I had a, I had a really good English teacher. See, there's are good teachers out there. I had a really 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 good teacher in grade eleven. Can't remember his name. He was a really weird guy. He would <laughs> he, he he did this thing one time, and he had to do it every year after that, where he would he and he was really into athletics and stuff. He would jump without bending his knees onto a, one of the students' desk. I, apparently, one time they weren't paying attention. Anyway. He was also one of those ones who would bring, you know, he didn't have anything to talk about. He'd bring in a movie. So, <laughs> oh, wow. but he did talk about interesting things and he would, he was all about quizzes and, and little brain teasers. And he was, a, he was a very good teacher. I, I appreciated him. But that being said, 1984, I recommend that one. The Hunger Games, I'm, I'm sure everybody's read it. But if you haven't, I would recommend that one too. Just for a fun read. Well, it's not really fun. It's disturbing as all hell too. But it, it's, you know. And, and Harry Potter. We mentioned Harry Potter. So yes. well, I'll, I'll have to read those. I'm reading right now Run, Hide, and Repeat. Yes. So I know you've been wanting to read that, and perhaps that'll be our next uh, our next book review. Our next book review? Okay. Yeah, there's no movie on that one. No movie. There should be, I think, from what I've read on the oh, cover. Before we, before we end. Yes. What do you like best? Which or which one? Which work do you like best? The, the written... Depiction of The Handmaid's Tale or the TV series series of the, the Handmaid's Tale. Which one do you like best? I, for me, books will always beat out television, movies, whatever. But this is a really interesting world they've got they're they're running with, and I can't wait to see how it ends. She'll I don't think she'll ever write a sequel or. And, it, and the, the book so, doesn't end. Like, what does? How does the book end? The book ends with it just sort of like stops, and basically the idea is that she's written this tale down, and they found basically her story, and it's in the future, and so they're looking back on her story. Oh, it's sort of so like a oh well, this is what happened in the past, and this is how you know they were how crazy they were, and this is you know this is the stuff they had to deal with, and this is the. You know, they were sort of like, they were looking back on it as if it was a barbaric time. Wow. And so it, it, that was slightly interesting, but also slightly weird too. I don't know. It, it was, it, it didn't, I don't think it ended it super, you know, I, I didn't have a, a great, you know, oh, well, you know, that's over. Like it just, it didn't. It, it feels like it needs, it needs um, a, so, a conclusion. Yes. Yes. Like a second, a second book. It needed at least, I would say, at least two more books. Two more books. I, I do enjoy the tr the trilogy, you know, way of... Perhaps you'll get closure with the series. I We may. We may. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Who knows? But anyway. Anyways, so again, hope you enjoyed this episode. And um, hopefully you keep on tuning. <laughs> hope you come back. Bye-bye.
This episode of A Couple's Two Cents was made possible by Anchor. Easiest way to make a podcast. Along with theme song accredited to M.A. Hache and provided by Free Music Archive.